0: and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit zuiigroup.com for more information. The Zui Group team looks forward to welcoming you.
1: Welcome to the Zweigletter letter podcast. Putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear, Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time.
0: Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I've got a great episode prepared for you, and, and it's one that I just want to preface it in advance, and just to say that I do not want to scare you. But I do want to make you aware of some things that, that I think all design firms need to be aware of when it comes to IT and cybersecurity. And so we have, Zweig Group has been working with Idafio and they, for quite some time now, and, and they are an outstanding firm with offices both in Little Rock and in Northwest Arkansas. I've actually had a chance to have them on multiple podcasts that I do just because the information that they focus on is, is so Top of mind with most businesses, and so without further ado, I want to welcome Mark Hodges, who is the Chief Growth Officer with Adafio, to the podcast. Mark, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great. Great to
0: be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit before I started. I pressed record, and and one of the things that I, I certainly wanted to do is just to give people an introduction into how they need to be thinking about information technology as it pertains to design firms and more specifically cybersecurity and I've had I've had the privilege of sitting under some of your talks and I mean you weave a great tale going back from historical perspective all the way to present day with regard to you know things that we need to be aware of but I would love first of all just so that our audience knows who you are just give us your quick superhero origin story Mark and then we'll jump into this conversation about IT and cybersecurity for design firms
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I wish it was a superhero origin story, but you know, my history has been interesting because I started out in television a long time ago, covering Bill Clinton's first run for the White House. So that that's how old I am. And from that evolved into me getting more into a marketing standpoint. so I've worked with companies like Axiom. I was there for 16 years. I've been with Teradata with a lot of different data companies where my senses were heightened on privacy and consumer privacy and making sure that data was responsibly sourced. And now in my life, I'm dealing a lot with IT and protecting a lot of that. One of the things that my origin story really brought to mind for me is that in this new world order, data is very much like, well, it's like crude oil. It's got utility, whether even before it's refined. And a lot of people really don't pay attention to how much their data is worth and so they don't put the protection around it. So a lot of what we do within Adafio these days is helping people both protect their business and their data to try and make sure that they're secure so that they can carry on business. And that's uh, we're, we're just trying to eliminate potential business ending events one step at a time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and and I know you have, you've worked in a number of verticals at Idafio. I mean, you guys work in the healthcare space. I'd be curious to know what has your initial experience been as you have gotten out and, and been exposed to design firms and what kind of patterns do you see out there when you connect with these design firms and start to build programs and fences, if you will, of ways to protect your data and be more aware of your surroundings, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. No, it's a great question. So one of the things that I see is a lot of the patterns are not necessarily specific to industries. They're specific to humans. <laughs> so as we all get better at doing human, for lack of a better description, we have fallen into some of the same ruts. And so we start to find, we get into a pattern of motion where we are able to do what we need to do, And if something causes us to break that pattern, so for example, doing something that adds a layer of security to that process, our natural reaction is, well, I don't like that. Think back to a lot of the changes that occurred after 9-11 with airport security. Well, now, you know, if someone literally tries to take a bottle of water through TSA, you wonder what rock have you been living under for the last 20 years, But back then, we didn't think twice about it. I remember the days when you could actually go to the gate if you weren't a ticketed passenger. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that too. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the interesting thing. The patterns very much are the same. Now, you mentioned we, we do a lot with medical. We have a long history dealing with medical, which everybody knows is a heavily regulated industry, a lot of very protected data, a lot of steps that you have to take to conform and be in compliance. The medical industry has gotten somewhat used to it, but oftentimes still has to be reminded of best practices. That's why they oftentimes bring people like us in to do risk assessments every year so that we can remind them, hey, you've got that screen turned where other patients can see patient information or things like that. Within a design firm, some of the challenges are just going to be the break in a work process or relearning certain work processes to add security in and to be a little more mindful of it because I would venture to say the the AEC industry's data is every bit as important and in some cases could even be more important than some of the data that other people protect. I mean we're talking infrastructure here we're talking key infrastructure across the country and for every firm we're talking proprietary information about how they do things. So The challenge is not so much patterned by industry as it is trying to, trying to change habits from humans. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's so funny when, as you mentioned that, and I think about like, what is the weakest point of contact to be able to like movies always show examples of people getting access to drawings of buildings or layouts of streets and underground utilities and things of that nature. And you don't think much of it at the time, but it's like, yes that makes perfect sense that in the design industry and i always say this to design firm professionals whoever will listen to me i said you guys are responsible for the built environment full stop right so in that sense you create all of the infrastructure that we encounter on a daily basis and so if anyone anyone foreign or domestic that wants to take advantage or find the stresses in these in these areas they can do that by accessing the data and the information that most of the design firms that are listening to this pull together. And so it makes perfect sense for them to, to want to protect this, not just for their clients,
2: but for their own, you know, for themselves and for their own peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To that point, data in and of itself, data has utility in its original form. So think about uh, any design firm, any firm within AEC, there's a There is a use of that data, whether it be designs, drawings, whatever it might be, any kind of rendering for the purpose of building, for the purpose of completing the project. The downstream utility of that data, though, can be weaponized. And that's the challenge. I mean, if you think about even the AEC industry type of data, it's something that if stolen can be put to misuse. Same thing with consumer data. If we hear about breaches all the time, you know, a, a retailer that gets breached during the holiday season and all of these names and email addresses and passwords end up out on the dark web, that, uh, the impact of that ultimately could be a lot of different things, just like the impact of stolen data within the AEC industry. In fact, sometimes that impact could not be seen for years, yeah. but it could come back and end up having a very negative result. So protecting data is not just about proprietary interest. It's also about security. Yeah. No, that, and that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I think, um,
0: again, it just, it, it is quite sobering when you look at all of the data breaches that have taken place. I mean, I think of like the target data breach and I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm not picking on target. They are just like a lot of other companies that have had major firewalls breached and data dumped and information used for nefarious purposes and I mean that's why they' people that's why there's the, this thing called the dark web because there's all this information that is available <laughs> to the highest bidder and some of it might seem innocuous or how could they use that but I mean it's the assembling of this data that actually makes it quite powerful to those who actually have access to it so I think it's important for all of us just to be mindful and to always be on our on our A game when it comes to protecting the data that we bring together, the the data that we store in our organizations, and to make sure that we have the highest level possible of protection, just to ensure that, you know, that we are we're doing everything in our power to protect it. Because there are smart hackers out there. There are smart folks out there that really know what they're doing. And and honestly, no security gate is technically ever safe. When it comes to a hacker who knows his way around the Internet and just knows his way around software.
2: Yeah, if I may, you know, I'd I'd love to take just a moment to, you know, for lack of a better description, disabuse a couple of of notions because there is this idea and it. You mentioning Target and some of the other some of the other breaches that have occurred. I, I want to make sure that we, uh, there's a stigma. There's been a stigma for a lot of years now that any firm, any business that gets breached, that they're evil, you know, that yeah. they didn't do their job. Yeah. That's not the case. We work with a lot of companies all the time who are victims of cybercrime, and they did every reasonable step that they could do. They They took every step that they could possibly take. What separates them, and this is the part where I would encourage AEC firms to, this is something you could start today and spend zero dollars to do it. They had a plan. They had a plan for if they get breached, they knew what they were going to do. They had as many of the systems in place that they could have. And what they did by doing that was they minimized the effect. So There are breaches that have broad effects. There are breaches that get shut down pretty quickly and the effect is minimized. Yes, there's still an effect, but it's minimized. That's my encouragement for AEC firms is to come up with your plan. A cybersecurity plan is not just about let's keep everybody out because it's not a question of if. Oftentimes, it's a question of when. The big question to me is how bad. Yeah how bad is it going to be? And if you have the right plan, if you're doing the right logging, if you're doing the right things, then you can put away this notion of if you ever get breached, it's evil. It's certainly not preferred. I mean, if you can avoid a breach, great. But if you do happen to get breached, you're going to be in a much better spot if you've got the plan and everybody knows what their parts are and everyone knows how to respond. And react, and to ultimately protect your customers. Yeah. No, I mean, and certainly,
0: I and I don't want anyone to feel like I was picking on Target because I still my information is still at Target. And I use them all the time. I mean, I th- oh, I, yeah. I think at yeah. some point at some point in time, Mark, you've got to have faith about this, right? I mean, you just have to be like, okay, even if people make mistakes, you got to feel like, okay, somebody's done this. If there's been a problem, they figured out all the trap doors and back doors, and even some of the mistakes that they've made through the front door and they've corrected all that and hopefully we we move on it's only when you see it happening over and over again with the same actors that you're like okay well maybe there there is a problem here because everybody is susceptible to cyber cyber criminals you know i think of like the city of baltimore was their data was held at ransom and you you know you hear about these ransomware attacks and it's like it's not wouldn't be unheard of for a design firm to potentially be a target uh, for a ransomware attack, and maybe not for a lot of money, but just for just enough to make it worthwhile for those that are doing the hack or the attack in the first place.
2: Yeah, and and you're exactly right. That's and you know you take any company, it it could be Target, it could be Colonial Pipeline, it could be that last summer one of the biggest meat producers uh, in in the world ended up being ransomed. You mentioned city of Baltimore, you know, a few years back. I mean that that was a big deal. It it was as I recall, they were the hackers were demanding seventy five thousand dollars in ransom in Bitcoin yeah. to give the data back. And, you know, I don't know if it was proximity to DC or what, Baltimore refused to pay it. They decided to rebuild their systems. And as I recall, they rebuilt their systems on a $75,000 ransom at a cost of $18 million. So you've got this whole thing going on where the FBI is continually pressing companies to not pay the ransom. And that's happening more and more and more. And incidentally, even if you pay the ransom, that doesn't mean they're out of your system. Odds are they're still in there. You're probably going to be ransomed again. I believe the number Is 228 days or somewhere around there that a hacker is actually in your system for that average amount of time before they do anything, before they explode any ransomware, before they try and take control of a system. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You might wonder what they're waiting for. They're infecting your backups. So at that point, (laughs) there's no, they're trying to get you to a point of non recovery. So that's the challenge. We're not dealing with the typical criminal mindset. We're dealing with some brilliant people who know how to get in and and do this. And what's interesting is it's become a business model. We see more and more instances of ransomware as a service shops that look just like offices you and I work in every day. And they get contracted to create ransomware to go hold a company hostage by someone else, and they just split the take. So it's really, really interesting. And I think the other thing that's important to remember is that, because I'm thinking about this, because
0: like we think, oh, well, maybe these these nefarious individuals are set up in some strip mall somewhere in one of our local communities, but look quite the opposite. They could be somewhere in another part of the world. And I mean, that's yeah. the challenge that we face today.
2: It's, it's really interesting. You know, we have seen Right now, based on the last reports I looked at, the FBI says they're tracking about 100 different ransomware groups. And some of them are based in North Korea. They have popped up in Turkey, but the vast majority of them are in Eastern Europe. And we kind of think most of them are based out of Russia. And, you know, it stands to reason that a lot of these things occur from offshore. I would think one of the things that might be beneficial for Whoever might be listening is if you're in an Aec firm the the one phrase you can say that will it's almost like a an assured destruction type of phrase is to say, "Oh well, the hackers don't know who we are, you know they don't care about what we've got. That's precisely why they care about you because they don't know what you have and they have a feeling whatever it is you've got is valuable to you and it's for me it is a fundamental. Misunderstanding of linear versus exponential crime. If I can use those terms, you know, a lot of times when we think of crime, we think in a linear fashion. A person can break into a store one at a time. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we think about it. Digital criminals can break into a few hundred thousand places in a millisecond. And we don't think about that. That's the, the exponential nature of the crime. So. As you think about securing your systems and and securing your workplace, and let me be clear, we're not just talking about just the digital piece. This can mean physical security as well. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But this is the whole idea of do you have a security mindset or not? Odds are anyone in the AC industry has a lock on their front door, most likely. I would presume that they do. The challenge is they've got systems that never shut off at night. The internet stays on, sure. and so that door is always open. How are you securing that?
0: Yeah, you know, and I, and again, I want to be very mindful of the people listening to this. That nobody's trying to scare the hell out of you right now with all this information. But I, I yeah. think again, awareness and just acknowledging what you don't know is important at this moment in time. Right? I mean, because of where we are, as the date of recording this, it's. 2022, we're about to move into 2023. And I mean, the technology is so robust nowadays, you don't need much to get access to things. And so you know, with that in mind, I would love for you to just kind of give just a couple of ideas or just a little bit of a better understanding for design firms about the things that they should be thinking about on the front end. And then we can go to the back end about other ways that you can protect yourselves. But just up on the sure. surface, what what are some of the the first things that you say to a design firm when they come to you and say, "Hey, you know, Mark, we we have some concerns. Not that anything has been compromised, but we just want to protect ourselves. You have sufficiently scared the hell out of us with these stories, and we read in the paper all the time all the stuff that's going on, and we we just don't want to be caught with our pants down. No pun intended. So, what are the some of the first things that you say to these
2: firms? Yeah, great question. And again, I'll echo what you said. I'm in no way trying to scare everyone. The unfortunate reality though is there were two conferences I've spoken at just in recent weeks where we had a, it was a working session just focused on cyber. It was amazing how many people leading up to those breakout sessions talked about how important cyber was. In one of the sessions out of 60 chairs, there were six participants. Wow. Six. Yeah. So what's happening is everybody's talking about it, but nobody's serious about it and i've seen some of that attitude across pieces of the aec industry now to clarify there are some firms i've talked with who are doing so many things right in fact i walked away from the conversation feeling extremely encouraged because they were putting in place things that are not high dollar things but they are the most effective things and so we'll talk about those but to your question, some of the top level things that I encourage people to think about, you know, you had mentioned about, you know, securing the the front and the back door a little bit earlier, that's kind of where I start. You know, a lot of times I'll tell them, listen, let's start with the human element first because that's kind of uh, a lot of people focus in on a lot of tech to fix cyber potential threats, but the reality is you need to kind of watch what's happening at your front door and and what I I kind of joke with people and tell them, hey, your employees are great, but they didn't get smarter or more secure just because they came to work today. So how do you help your employees actually understand, I need to be more secure as a person, both in my personal life and at work? So one of the things that we really try and focus on is trying to get people to train trying to get people to equip their employees, because the companies I work with, even outside of the AEC industry, who are having a lot of success with security, is they are the ones who are trying to help equip their employees so that they can be more secure as consumers as well. So in some cases, we have a company that we work with that literally uh, sends, they send a business grade firewall to every one of their employees homes so that they know when they access things that are on their you know that are on their network that it's secure but they also get to use it for personal use as well and that's pretty interesting so educating people helping them understand hey I probably shouldn't click the link let me hover over it that's uh, simple things like that go a long way i mentioned physical security It's amazing how many tests we do when we're trying to go out and we're really trying to focus in on educating people so that, you know, they can be more secure. Sometimes we'll just randomly throw USB sticks in the floor. You know, we'll come by at night and pop them through the gap in the door. So it's laying on the lobby floor when people come in. And you know what happens? (laughs) They pick them up and think, Oh, I wonder whose this is. And they put it in their computer and immediately we're in. That's it. And so it's amazing. Every one of them know better, but they still do it. Yeah. Because what I've found is in, in the Midwest part of the country, straight down the middle of the country, the coasts are probably about five years ahead in mindset when it comes to cyber security as opposed to the middle of the country. And I think that's because we still want to make ourselves believe we can sleep with the doors unlocked right. digitally. Yeah. And that's crazy. And you think about that curiosity
0: does kill the cat in in that method that you just described of just having a a random USB thing, because that is a person's first inclination is let me just see who this is. And, you know, we want to do the right thing and get it back to the right person because you know how it is when you lose all your PowerPoints from a a USB stick that you have and you don't want somebody else to lose that. But, you know, nowadays you got to think that everybody's backing up their information anyway. I have stuff on a USB stick, but I always keep a backup in the cloud somewhere. So, you know, there has to be that. And actually based on what you just described, that simply means, Mark, that every person to a man, woman and child that works for that firm, they all need to be taught that a mindfulness, that awareness of, Hey, these are the simple ways that seem innocuous, that seem like it doesn't really matter.
2: The simple ways that our whole moat, if you will, can be breached. Uh, it's affected how I approach a lot of things. I'm, And I would encourage AEC firms to think about this. There are even the firms that I've talked to who do a lot of the right things. I've asked them this question and they they look at me. We all have this epiphany of that's too simple, <laughs> but why haven't we been doing it? And that is just including questions about security in your interview process. Yeah. You know, if, if we talk about how important it is to train people and our people are some of the most effective thing, uh, you know, the effective pieces of our company, then why during the interview process do we completely not ask anything about, Hey, how do you typically handle your personal digital security? You know, what do you typically do? What, What are your feelings about this? I've started doing that now. It's been very revealing. I just extended an offer to someone last week who was the only person who had really good answers to those questions? And I thought, great, I'm not hiring a security risk. <laughs> so now, I mean, most firms are going to run some type of credit pull, sure. you know, or something like sure. that. But where we rarely assess the digital risk that might be walking into our door. So I'd encourage companies to, and firms, and anyone working in the industry to think about. Of the people we hire, are we even asking them any question that gives us any insight into how they handle security and how they would treat sensitive documents, how they would treat sensitive data? Because if you're just relying on teaching them once they get in, sometimes I've found, you know, historically the stripes on that zebra don't change.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And so you really have to be, I mean, I think, man, you just created a whole new place of awareness when it comes to recruitment and when it comes to interviewing potential candidates that you're absolutely right how they treat their equipment, how they treat their computers, both in the office and outside the office, that also plays into the level of vulnerability that a firm has. So, I mean, you're, those are that's a great example and it's something that actually I'm going to start mentioning to folks, even though cyber is not my area of expertise. You know, when I do talk to firms about recruitment and retention, and when I talk about the whole hiring process, I'm, you know, I'm certainly going to ask them, is this something that they're asking? Because um, it can certainly help them as they move down the line and as they screen and scrutinize anybody that they're considering to join their firm.
2: Yep. It, one thing I'll throw out as kind of the final bookend to uh, one of your earlier questions about what are some of the front end things that you can consider we talked about the human piece the back end things and these are just things that I find as best practices across all industries and this is one of the reasons why I felt pretty excited after talking to two or three firms after I believe is one of the roundtable events that ZWAG had in Dallas multi factor authentication or you'll hear it referred to as MFA kind of got it start being called dual factor authentication or you'll see it as the number 2 FA You would equate it with I log in and now I receive a text with a code or I get a code out of a generator on my phone or something like that. That is the single best thing any firm can do to create a very strong layer of security because it keeps the majority of people out, even if they somehow get a hold of a an email address and a password in a breach unless they can have the way that they receive that code, that's going to help you. That keeps well over 95% of the threats out. And it is a best practice only when, and this is the caveat, everyone in the firm has to be under it. You can't have the CEO say, well, this is bothersome to me. It's an inconvenience. Therefore, I want to be excluded from the group. Well, nobody might as well have it at that point because everybody has to, the rain has to fall on everybody in the firm. And I'm a big believer in nobody there. We as leaders, as business leaders cannot lead people where we are not willing to go. Yeah. So we have to focus in on being secure ourselves. And give up a little bit of convenience to secure our business. Yeah, and
0: and uh, and just to elaborate on that, some of the simple ways that you can have two-factor authentication as Mark indicated would be getting a text message to your phone in addition to having a password information. There are also authenticator programs that can reside on your on your phone that will continually create new keys and those keys are typically 6-digit numbers that will then flash up on a screen and they constantly change. And I don't know what the it seems like they change every 20 or 30 seconds. And once you have yeah. tied your password or tied your connection, I use two-factor authentication for everything, everything. And I'm just, I'm running a small business and that's it. But you're absolutely right about that. And it, it's just, those are just small things that you can do just to kind of move the process along. But you have to, and, and Mark makes a really good point, everybody has to buy into this it can't be one individual that says oh that's just too much for me or i'm i'm too old to do all of that if you do that that is the weakest link and there's still room for exploitation within your system if you allow that to happen
2: yeah absolutely it's uh, and it is so easy and very uh, very low cost to roll out i mean it's the barrier to entry to that is so low i mean there are so many of those options that are free through Google Authenticator, through Microsoft Authenticator. I mean, those are, you've got to look into that and even take it to a personal level. Your bank, your any of your websites that you use on a regular basis, most of them will offer multi-factor authentication now. Sign up for it. It is so worth it to protect yourself. And it is such a minimal inconvenience. For multi-factor authentication, banks have used it for years now. And a lot of times I it was in Atlanta, but I was speaking to a group in Atlanta. And the way I just left it was, hey, if your bank used the level of security that your firm uses, would you feel comfortable with your money still being there? You've got to ask yourself that question. Yeah. Because yeah. if you wouldn't, Guess who needs to move? And it's probably you. So, but that's a, that is just a simple, easy way to eliminate a big, a great majority of threats. So between that and educating and investing in your associates, those two things are major, big, good steps to take to try and help secure your business. There's a ton of tech you can throw at it. I'm, I'm a fan of several of the tools out there, but the reality is, until you get those two pieces right, the tech's only going to do what the tech is going to do, and it's it, you. You really need to focus on the human aspect and and the security aspect from a login standpoint first. Yeah. So let me ask you this because I want to
0: I want to just take it one step further because I know we could certainly go down a rabbit hole with all of the different ways that that firms can kind of patch up things from a security standpoint. But one of the conversations that I'm sure comes up a lot, Mark, is just this whole idea of how much should design firms be willing to embrace cloud technology, cloud storage. I know I use the cloud for everything and it just makes life so much easier that that I I have an identical copy of my hard drive in the cloud. Of, actually I have it, I'm kind of redundant. I have it in two places. I have it in iCloud and I have it in Dropbox. So I've kind of got the best of both worlds. I feel very secure. Everything is on two-factor authentication. As a matter of fact, Apple is so secure, I sometimes forget. And I have to remember what, what things are just to get in there. But to a design firm leader or somebody that's in a design firm, and they're trying to embrace the technology that's available and greater opportunities for access to information and the storage of that information in something that we can't physically see What are your responses
2: to firms around cloud technology and specifically cloud computing? Great question Uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is we've had there's been a mindset in a lot of regulated industries for a lot of years with regard to, well, my data has to stay on premise. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I know it's safe. What's funny about that is there have been some of those premises where the data had to stay really, really safe. Where a cup of coffee got spilled on the server <laughs> that was that was housing all of that data, yeah. or you could easily have somebody who shouldn't be in that spot walking in there. When we do certain types of testing, well, as an example, we printed off an AT and T badge. Uh, I mean, we we it's easy enough to go out and look at LinkedIn at all of the pictures that employees put from lunches and things saw what the current version of the AT&T badge looks like, created one for one of our cybersecurity engineers. He walks into a hospital and said, hey, I'm here to work on the internet circuit. And they escorted him back to the server room (laughs) just with a fake badge. No inspection, no nothing. My guess is a lot of firms listening to this would probably have the same result just because if you show up looking like you're part of that authority, you just get escorted in. And so... You know, one of the things that a lot of people get concerned about is, can I get to my data? You know, is my data safe? Is cloud safe? I think we're past the days where cloud was kind of the Wild West. You have the major players emerging. So you've got, in particular, if you're thinking about actually running applications in the cloud between Microsoft and their Azure platform. Amazon and AWS, which runs most of the web, by the way, you've got some really secure facilities that I feel completely comfortable (laughs) with cloud computing and data storage and things like that. The biggest issue is people have assumed that cloud is cheaper and it's not. Uh, Cloud is FedEx on premise has tended to be USPS in the comparison. That's going to change because Microsoft two years ago came out and said, we're a cloud company now. And within the next year, you're going to see all of their server software licensing increase by at least like a factor of five. So they're going to poison the well for anyone who still wants to run on-premise because they want you in the cloud. And if you think about it, it's a lot easier to secure No business I know of is running the level of security that some of the major cloud providers are running. So I feel very comfortable with it, but also want to be clear, my definition of cloud is somebody else's server. (laughs) That's just my definition of cloud. Sure. So
0: yeah, Yeah, I think that that, hopefully that that tracks with where that answers it for sure. I, I appreciate that. And again, like I said, I don't want to get too far in the weeds for our listeners, but it's just something that people need to think about, right? And just for perspective, I think if people don't understand this, like AWS as a company, if AWS was not part of Amazon, it would be one of the largest companies in the world with a digital footprint and a dollar footprint to match Amazon in terms of its value. And that's why a lot of people have said at some point, maybe Amazon might get broken up because if you look at, you know, some of their different business lines of how impactful they are to the overall economy, that if one, if a company, if there's one single point of failure, You don't want that. You you want to kind of spread it around so that there's more safety there. So I think it's important for people just to hear that and understand that, you know, cloud computing is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And and certainly if it's something that you've looked at, whether it's just for from a dollar perspective to save money, I think it's it's something to consider. And then more importantly, the security aspect that comes along with cloud computing also could potentially provide you with a little bit more peace of mind. So that when you, you know, you can sleep better at night knowing that your data is protected and secure.
2: Yeah. To me, the big question about cloud is not, I mean, you certainly want to pay attention to the type of security you need and make sure that if you're in a regulated industry, you're in the right instance of those cloud environments. So for example, let's take Dropbox. There's a version of Dropbox that has some HIPAA compliance, but it's not the default. So you've got to pay attention to those types of things. But for me, cloud is more of a question from a business leader standpoint. You have to ask the question, do you have the appropriate bandwidth in all of the locations that would need to access that cloud instance to be able to make it workable? That's the one challenge we run into in parts of Arkansas, for example, where we don't have high bandwidth areas all across the entire state. We have them in the major corridors, but if you only have a satellite connection or if you if you have like old DSL connections it's probably going to be real difficult to run some of the compute type things from the cloud but from a security standpoint i would be more comfortable with the titans of the industry securing their data facilities i mean we're talking people don't sneak into them. No, i mean absolutely they not. they they are redness scanned the you are weighed on the way in and out to make sure that you're you did not leave something or are not taking something. I mean they're super secure facilities. So it's a very legitimate question and something to call out.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I know even Amazon has a server farm not too far from here. It's like it's right in the backyard of where Walmart is, it's ironically, and it I mean that place is like Fort Knox. I mean, you cannot they don't play any games up there. It doesn't look like it, but it is probably more watched than anything else. And so, and I've seen some of Google's server farms and they're like in the most, the places that you at least expect them, but they are highly, highly protected. And there is a level of
2: security that you just don't normally find with regular buildings. Yeah. Those are not the places you want to be caught just hanging around the outside. Right. Pit. So you'll, <laughs> you'll be escorted away fairly. Quickly. Yes, Absolutely. Well, listen, I mean, Mark, you've shared so much and I've actually got like two pages
0: of notes here, which, you know, for my audience listening to this, I can't wait out we will translate into some really amazing show notes here. And I want to leave with just one or two action items just to kind of bring everything back into focus for the people listening to this right now. One or two or even three action items, just simple action items that uh, and even if it's a regurgitation of something you've already said, I want to drive the point home that people that design firm leaders that design firm IT folks should really be considering after listening to this episode and how serious they should take this matter and not push it off and say well we'll get to this second quarter of 2023 or something like that if you would be so kind to do that i'd appreciate it
2: yeah let me just give you one or two the, because these stand out in my mind and they're healthy things for any business to do and if i can encourage you as you consider your quarterly planning sessions getting ready for next year or you know as you start the new year a couple of things that I would strongly recommend and that is to first get your leadership team together and just focus in on the question how can we create a secure mindset that to me is a cultural thing it's something that has to start at the top it's something that can reap benefits for you and make it a strategic advantage I think the companies and the firms that actually focus on a culture that embraces security, that's going to become a strategic advantage for that firm. And so focusing in on those things and just trying to discern our actions, do they reflect a a company or a mindset that has security as a focus? And when I say focus, I don't mean as something to be afraid of, okay? I'm not talking about... Looking at the threats out there and being afraid of them. I'm talking about looking at the threats outside your walls and just f- realizing this is here, it's the reality. So let's figure out how we're going to maneuver it to our advantage. I think every firm that is out there in the AEC industry can do that. It's just going to take the leadership team getting together and asking the question how do we create a security focus for our firm? And the second, uh, the other thing I'll give you, the second piece is take some of the simple steps. Don't try and eat the whale in one bite, you know, or boil the ocean or whatever moniker that's overused at every conference you want to use, but focus on in the initial steps. Okay, let's start with education and let's start with multi-factor authentication. They're easy. They're cheap to nothing. I mean, they're the right things to do, and they will do more to launch you into a security posture than any other steps you could take. And then you can build from there. I think part of the challenge I see some of the companies I talk to have is they get overwhelmed by what they feel like they've got to do. And as humans, when we get overwhelmed, we put it aside and go do something else. I mean, that's what I've been doing with my garage for about 20 years now. It's overwhelming to me to clean it, So (laughs) I've been perpetually cleaning my garage for 20 years. Well, in this case, let's at least take, just choose the one or two steps that you'll take to try and start that security mindset and then just make it a journey because the firms that will be successful view this as a journey. They don't view it as, okay, let's roll out annual security training. Great. We check the box between me and you, that does nothing. It needs to be on a regular cadence and just have that become part of your culture that you embrace. Yeah,
0: that's perfect. I mean, I think that's a perfect place for us to pause because we
2: we certainly will take up this conversation
0: again and continue it given the fact that Adafio is a partner with Zoy Group. And I think it's important to maybe have this conversation more than once, right? You know, I, You know what they say, it takes several times. You have to mention things several times, even in marketing and sales, It's like it takes seven times mentioning something before it really hits home. So we're going to have to keep talking, saying this over and over again. And one thing that I will certainly encourage folks to do is one, like you said, how can we create a secure mindset? Two, take simple steps, focus on those initial steps from education, and certainly, if nothing else, multi factor authentication, like Mark said, and just start with that. But, Mark, if people listening to this have decided, you know what, I, I need to just have a conversation with Mark or maybe i need to have adafio come into our company or connect with us virtually and kind of scan our overarching program and whether or not we're doing the right things in addition to what he's recommended today what's the best way for people to connect with you
2: yeah so um it, you you feel free to put my email in the show notes if sure, you like uh, sure. that's m hodges m h o d g e s at adafio and that's e d a f i o.com if you'd like to come and Just educate yourself a little bit on some of the things that are out there. Feel free to visit our website at Adafio.com. We actually have some videos from workshops that we've done that you could uh, link out to and take a look at. But honestly, if you'd rather not navigate all that stuff and just want to reach out to someone, feel free to shoot me an email. I will be more than happy to get on the phone with you or connect you with someone that would make sense to have a conversation and just start the exploration. Yeah. No, and and he means that folks, so I certainly want to encourage you if you've listened
0: to this, if you if you stuck around for this whole recording, again, this is an important episode and if you're not the decision maker but you know who the decision maker is, either sit down with them and listen to this again or or have them listen to it and then you guys have a meeting about what you think the next steps are or what questions you need to be asking to ensure that you're doing everything in your power to secure your data, both internally within your organization, as well as externally as it goes out to the world. So I think, Mark, I I just appreciate you taking time to, to share this information today. It was enlightening for me. And also, I will, at the tip of my tongue, be sharing some of your advice and ideas and guidance. And then when all else fails, I'll just say, hey, reach out to Mark and he'll be sure, he and the folks at Adafio will be sure to take good care of you.
2: No, I I appreciate it. I appreciate so much you having me on. And uh, we we love working alongside Zweig Group. We love working within the AEC industry, love to help out anyone where we could, but hopefully the information is helpful. Absolutely. It is. It is. Well, thank you, sir. Well, folks, that's another
0: episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, visit ZweigGroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zwig Group's advisory services or any of Zwig Group's publications, visit ZweigGroup.com. You can subscribe to the Zwig Letter podcast wherever you listen to it, and please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here soon with another new informative episode from the Zwig Letter Podcast. Have a great day.
1: Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zwig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zwig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.